one thing I want to do before getting into uh, the heart of the, the message here in Matthew 6 is just kind of go back a little bit because there's been some questions that have been kind of uh, put out there regarding some of the things we're looking at in the Sermon on the Mount. And that is in regard to Matthew 5, 9, for instance. Blessed are the peacemakers. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 39, how we're called to turn the other cheek when somebody does something wrong against us, how we're called uh, not just to love our neighbors, but we're to love our our enemies as well. And so when we hear all these things, there's naturally questions that arise such as, well, you know, does that mean that we're never able to kind of, you know, stand up for ourselves to defend ourselves? What about occasions of, of war and countries coming in? Are we called to lay down our arms now and, and be a pacifist? And there are some that would hold a pacifist view, meaning that they're going to be um, conscientious, uh, uh, does, help me. Objectors, thank you. Conscientious objectors, they're not going to go into battle when you see what's going on in, in Israel and, and uh, you know, the, the warring that's taking place. Our people called us to, as Christians, lay down our arms. Is that, is that what the Sermon on the Mount is teaching? Well, I believe the Sermon on the Mount is teaching, again, the, the kingdom way, but again, how that applies to us individually. In other words, when somebody is maybe coming against us, our role as Christ followers now is we're called to a higher uh, ground, which is to lay our own rights down personally and individually. When somebody comes to persecute us, perhaps as being a Christian, when they're mistreating us, we're called to say, you know what? Just as Christ laid his life down, we're willing to lay our life down individually too. But... I also believe that when it comes to the greater good, that we are called at times to take action and to do what's right. In other words, if there is somebody that's looking to break into my house and to do harm against my family, I'm not turning the other cheek. I'm going to defend my family. I'm going to take action. And I believe that, that, that justice and righteousness, again, uh, following what the word of God says, is that we're to take action for the, the good of, of others as well. And we see throughout the Bible that God has called people into times of, of battle where justice is being carried out. Listen, when Christ comes back again, all right, he's not turning the other cheek. He's going to be spanking some cheeks, and that's not the cheek that you're turning. He's going to come back as a conquering king, all right? And, and there's going to be justice and righteousness that's carried out. So whether you are convicted of, of again, this is your conscience now, being a pacifist, I don't have anything against that. If that's what your conscience says, then okay, but I, I would trust and pray there's allowance also for, for all sides and, and seeing fully what God's word uh, teaches. And I believe this is speaking of, you know, when somebody's coming against you individually, that we can uh, lay our rights down. But there are times too, when we're seeking to uphold the word of God in taking action on things. So I just wanted to uh, help clarify some of those things that some people have had questions on. I hope that's helpful. If it's not, you're still uncertain, come and talk with me or one of our pastors after we'd be help, happy to fill in more with you. But here, moving into chapter six and continuing on, looking at the kingdom way, here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is laying out for us, you know, that true citizens of this already kingdom rule of Jesus in our hearts, and that's what it is, 
is meant to change our hearts. Yes, Jesus is coming again and he's gonna establish the very kingdom of God and his rule literally and physically on this earth. But right now that's something that can be realized as Jesus takes up the throne of our hearts and rules and reigns from within and he brings that change of heart. And so because now for the follower of Christ, the child of God, because of that change of heart that he brings, it should equate to a change in our behavior and the way that we live. So this next section that we're gonna be looking at is, is divided up into three sections essentially the believer and worship, the believer and wealth, and the believer and their walk. And it deals with man's relationship to God, man's relationship to the world, and man's relationship to one another. And we're going to just be looking at that first part and, and the believer and worship of God, but only just a part of that here as we get into just the first little bit of chapter six. Now, I'm sure many of us have known people that have kind of walked away from the church, maybe once went to church, maybe once were open, and have walked away from the church for various reasons. Now, removing the, the COVID crowd that got used to watching uh, church from home in their pajamas, removing that out of the equation, the typical answer I think you would find of people excusing themselves or the reason they give why they no longer go to church would be, anybody want to take a stab at it? that the church is full of hypocrites. You know it well, right? Not here, not here. Other churches we're, we're talking about. You don't see those people, amen. All right, okay, I'm hoping. Now, that would be the one answer that I would say rises to the top of the list of why people have said, I no longer go to church. It's because the church is just full of a bunch of hypocrites. And how are we supposed to respond to those kinds of accusations? Guilty as charged. Yeah. We're a bunch of sinners saved by grace and looking to the only one who is righteous, and that's Jesus Christ. We're not excusing sin. We're not saying, oh, I'm just a sinner, so I acted. No, but we understand that we're still being, you know, perfected. We're still growing, maturing in Christ. We're all susceptible then to hypocrisy. It kind of reminds me of the guy who said, I was out the other day, and I saw my neighbor talking to her cat as though the cat understood everything she was saying. I went home, told my dog all about it. We had a good laugh over it. <laughs> See, <clears throat> hypocrite is, uh, being a hypocrite is something that we can all, I'm sure, relate to, identify with, and, and struggle with at times. And Jesus first confronts this issue of hypocrisy here in Matthew chapter six. And he's going to do so some 14 times throughout the gospel of Matthew. The rest of the gospels all combined only deal with hypocrisy or mention hypocrisy five times together. But here in Matthew, it's really a focus because Jesus is really confronting in the book of Matthew, the religious leaders. And pretty much every instance when Jesus addresses hypocrisy, he's doing so to speak to the religious leaders who were very hypocritical. They thought they were putting on this pretentious act and air of being righteous, but Jesus is calling them hypocrites. And it's not something that we should be as followers of Christ, as uh, citizens of this kingdom. There's there's a, a way that we're to live that isn't marked by hypocrisy. And Jesus is identifying some of those areas here today regarding the believer and worship. Look at verse one again with me. He says, take heed 
that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise you have no reward from your father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may have glory from men. As surely I say to you, they have their reward. So Jesus says right off the front, as he's speaking to his disciples here, take heed, beware, take note of this guys. I don't want you to be like those hypocrites. There's to be a change of heart that's to result in a change of conduct and behavior. Be careful about these things. Now, again, the religious leaders were exemplifying a righteousness that was all centered around their works, an outward kind of action. They said, look at what we do. And by what we do, oh, we're, we're pleasing God. We're, we're righteous. We're were wonderful people. But again, living by outward things was the wrong way to be a citizen of the kingdom. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is really addressing. Remember those key words in Matthew 5, 20, really the crux of uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, will by no means enter the, the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus here continues to challenge outward actions versus inward attitudes. True righteousness comes through faith in Jesus and a change of heart that he brings. Because he, bring, he gives us a new heart. When we repent of sin, when we put our faith in Jesus, he gives us a new heart, a new heart that should now translate in a changed life, a difference in the way that we function and live. Now, three functions for the believer that are pointed out here in Matthew 6 are giving, prayer and fasting. This is all centered around again, the believer in worship, all elements of our worship, giving, prayer, and fasting. We're going to just address these first two today. We'll get into fasting another time, which is a very important subject that I think gets overlooked here uh, oftentimes in, in our day. But notice something in each of these functions or examples of the believer in worship, notice Jesus says, uh, Let's see here. Therefore, verse two, when you do a charitable deed. And then in verse five, he's going to say, when you pray. In verse 18, he's going to say, when you fast. In other words, Jesus isn't just throwing out some suggestions say, hey, that's great that you're a child of God. You may want to consider maybe some options now that you can actually, he's not giving this as a suggestion. This is something that is assumed now is going to be a part of your life. When you do a charitable deed, when you pray, when you fast. In other words, this is something that should mark the believer, the citizen of the kingdom of God. These are attitudes now or actions that come out of a right heart before the Lord, a true relationship with God. Now, first of all, again, I want you to notice something here. When we deal with charitable deed, and, and when we talk about a charitable deed, as it's mentioned here, it's speaking about uh, giving. We'll talk a bit more about that here. But notice something. Our work is rewarded. Now here, it's mentioned in the beginning, at the end of verse one, otherwise you have no reward from your heavenly father. Now, the flip side of that is that when we do a, a charitable deed that's honoring the Lord, it, it will be rewarded, but it's rewarded by our heavenly father. Now, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, uh, you can write this verse down, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, which is a great verse that reminds us that everything that we do for the Lord is going to be done 
uh, with value towards it, that nothing's done in vain. That verse says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Is that a great promise for us here today? It, it, Paul says there, man, let's be continually moving on in works to the Lord, knowing that your work is not in vain. We don't do any work to be saved. Let's make sure we know that. Whenever we, and, and people are always confused whenever we hear about work and Christianity, we think, oh, we're working for salvation. This is not about unto salvation. We're saved through the work of Jesus Christ and him alone. He died on a cross, rose again, saved us, forgave us, paid the penalty for our sin. And that work is complete. But now, because of that, we want to live these lives for his glory. And so as we serve the Lord, we recognize that our work is going to be rewarded, that it has, has value to it. It's never going to be done in vain when we do it unto the Lord. Now, the question is, is what we're doing being done for the Lord? That's the question here for us today. Is what you're doing being done for the Lord? Because again, we are all susceptible to slipping into that path of hypocrisy and doing things with kind of ulterior motives. We'll talk a little bit more about that term hypocrisy. But is what we're doing truly being done unto the Lord. Now, one way that we can really gauge that is to look at what's your motive for the things that you do. What is your motive for the things that you do? See, the Christian's desire should be to bring glory and praise to the name of Jesus alone and not to self. <laughs> and we all can tend to be sort of, you know, glory seekers right? We live in an age where, you know, we want to get that selfie up there. We want to post all that we're doing. We want people to recognize, like, heart, do whatever. We want to be recognized. We want to be seen. And sometimes that's for our own praise and, and glory. We live in a day where that's also common, but the Christian's desire should be to conduct themselves in a way where Jesus is the one getting all the praise and the glory. Now in this sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already mentioned something along those lines. When he says in Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Now what's interesting here we see in verse one in Matthew six, don't do your charitable works to be seen by them. <laughs> but then in Matthew 5, 16, we're told, let your light so shine that they may see your good works. Well, which one is it, Jesus? You're confusing me here. Which one is it? It's both. But again, it all comes down to your motive. As we said before, the heart of the matter is a matter of the heart. Where's your heart in these things? What's your desire for doing it? Where's your heart in these things? If our heart is to perform a good work, and specifically, like I said, we're talking about giving. Are we doing it so others can see how great we are and pat us on the back and say, you know what? I just wish there were more people like you in this world. Is it so that we can be seen and elevated and, and, and given accolades and praise? Or are we seeking to do a work for the Lord and unto the Lord where all praise and glory is directed to him? And these are heart 
issues, you see. They're hard issues. Now, if we're doing good for our own praise, then you're not going to have any reward from God. God is the one who's going to reward you for what you do. But if, if we're trying to skip the cue and get it from others, then you end up kind of forfeiting the greater blessing our Heavenly Father has for you. And, and again, regarding this act of a charitable deed, giving was something that was very familiar to these people that Jesus is speaking to in this day. They were brought up with the instruction that they were to, to tithe whatever they received. They were to give to the Lord a tithe, and the tithe meant a tenth. So when they received, they, they gave a tenth of that to the Lord. And the idea of tithing was just ingrained into the thinking. All was the Lord's. So the Lord had given them all that they had, and they were just giving a, a portion back to the Lord in thanks to him for what they've received by him. But then there was an additional kind of giving on top of the tithe. That was extra. And it was a, a gift that was given towards the poor or the less fortunate. And Jesus is talking about that kind of charitable deed, that kind of giving that's, that's being given to the help of others. Now, originally in the temple, there was a room called the Chamber of Secrets. The Chamber of Secrets. It was a place where people could go secretly and give money. And it was there where, where poor people could go and receive to help them in their time of need. But human nature began to get the better of the situation. And it wasn't too long before the Pharisees began to kind of think, you know what, it's, it's too much work to have to bring this gift to the temple. Why don't I take it to, you know, the synagogues? Or why don't I just, you know, stop on the, on the streets and just kind of open up and let people know I got a gift? How, how are people going to know? Why don't I blow a trumpet? Why don't I draw some attention and let people know, hey, I'm giving a gift. But their hearts were all about, they wanted people to gather around and say, oh, what a righteous person you are. What a giving, wonderful person you are giving to these people in need. You couldn't even wait to get to the temple. You were just doing it right here on the street here. That is so kind of you. And they were doing all this now for, again, their own accolades and praise. But in so doing, they robbed God of the glory, and now they would be robbed of his reward. Now, listen, what's interesting, they're going to have a reward still, all right? They have the reward, it says, at the end of verse two. Notice that. They're going to have a reward, but what kind of reward is that? It's an earthly reward. It's a fading reward. It's not an eternal reward. In other words, they're going to hear the praise of man. And the Lord Jesus is kind of saying, hey guys, soak it in. Because that's as good as it's going to get. And that's going to be passing. Those same people that will praise you one day are the same people that are going to, you know, criticize you or speak ill of you another day. Man, soak it in because it's not going to get any better than that. That's what Jesus is saying. And that idea, when he says they have the reward, it means, it means that the Greek word is apecho, which means they have it in full. It's complete now. There's nothing more that's going to come. And you see what Jesus is saying is that I have something far greater for you. I want to reward you for what you do. And that reward is going to be far greater, but you're missing out on that because you're playing the hypocrite. And so Jesus says, uh, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Don't be like them. Now, again, that word hypocrite is from the Greek word hypocrites, and, and that meant an actor. 
All right. An actor would be those that would be upon. And again, the, the Greeks uh, were great for their, their plays and productions. But in order to play different characters, they would put on masks. And one person would have a mask on, and they would show different emotions, a different kind of character. Then they'd set that mask up, put another mask, and it would all of a sudden be a, a whole new person. But that's the idea behind Hippocrates, behind a hypocrite. It's a, a mask where it's an actor. We get the term two-faced from this. They were people that were putting on a show, but it wasn't the real deal. It wasn't the real person. It wasn't genuine. They were putting on an act. And that word, Hippocrates, became kind of synonymous with a pretender. They were just pretending to be righteous, religious, to be so giving because their hearts weren't behind it. They were doing it all for themselves. So Jesus says there in verse three, so guys, here's the example. Don't follow that. Here's what he says for us to do in verse three. But when you do a charitable deed, again, the expectation is that as followers of Christ, we're going to, but when you do a charitable deed, do not even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. Wow. Now, not letting your left hand know what your right hand is doing is more than just mere hyperbole. I think what's being addressed here is that, you know, we can fall prey to not just receiving the praise of others, we can fall prey to receiving our own praise. And when we do a charitable deed, sometimes we're like, well done. You are really special. I wish, you know, God sure picked a winner when he chose you. (laughs) We can tend to really pat ourselves on the back and begin to praise ourselves. But Jesus, do it in such a way where your own self is not even recognizing what you're doing and trying to puff you up. Don't fall prey to your own fanfare. Give it all to the Lord. Be thankful that he's simply using you to carry out his purposes and to let his love and grace be seen. And again, that it may be in secret. Again, there's the chamber of secrets. It's interesting where they go and get the time. But here's the thing. We don't have to go crazy thinking and trying to do everything in a secretive way. All right. Again, Matthew 5, 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Our our face should be lived up publicly and, and we shouldn't be afraid to be seen. In other words, let's say, well, as we talk about giving, let's say you're coming to church and you've got your offering envelope. You're ready to put in the uh, offering box, right? You know, and again, some, many of us have grown up in a church where you're passing the plate and how many people were, you know, always like, well, the plate's passed in front of me, man. I, I better get, people are watching. I got to make sure. And you're like, you know, sometimes when I was younger, I shared this before, just full transparency here. Don't judge me. But when the plate would be passed in front of me, and I didn't have anything. I'd be like, oh, and I'd reach in, kind of take a 20 spot from there, lift it up. High. Oh yeah, just putting in my $20, let everybody see, you know, pass the plate along, right? You know, and you do some of these things so that you can be seen. And others don't think that, you know, look at that guy. He's not, not reaching in his pockets, giving anything. What's going on with that guy? But we got to be careful that we don't go out of our way. If you're, and so we don't pass a plate here. We have, we think offering is bringing Bringing your gift to the Lord is a wonderful act of worship. And we encourage that. And we thank 
everybody that gives faith to the church, and you guys are awesome and wonderful. Uh, don't let that go to your head, all right? Praise the Lord through that. Um, but, you know, we have offering boxes. And you don't have to be sitting there, like, worried about, okay, i got to make sure nobody's walking through those doors when I'm putting my offering envelope in. And, like, you're ready to put it in, somebody walks in, you're like, oh, what? No, I'm not doing nothing. Sorry. Uh, keep going. No, I'm just sitting here, you know. We don't have to be worried about that. Just do it naturally. Worship the Lord. Thank the Lord for it. But if you're sitting there by the offering box and you're waiting for the crowds to come and you're like, oh, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm just trying to shove my full envelope and it's not going in. These slots are too small. Can you come and can you help me try to jam this man? It's been just trying to really empty my bank account for the Lord, just trying to put that in, you know? And if you're making a production of it, then again, there's something off there. <laughs> you're doing it so people can go, wow, that guy's really amazing. Look at how wonderful and giving he is. You're receiving that reward. And guess what? Enjoy that reward. It's done in full. And God has something far greater for us. But here's the thing. When we give, yes, we're going to be blessed. We're going to be blessed in just kind of partnering with the work of the Lord. It's all for him. And it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 35, quoting uh, Jesus saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. I believe it, it truly is. But we know the, the greatest gift is an eternal reward that we have with Jesus. When I believe we're going to, you know, come before him, hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. You see, we're not waiting for a reward to appear. We're not, we're not, we're not giving with the motive thinking, if I do this, then I'm going to get that. Please don't let that be your motivation because we understand as believers, we've already been given all that we need in and through Jesus Christ. He died for us. He saved us. We have life. We have eternal life. We have the hope of heaven. He has done immensely, uh, amazingly beyond what I could ever imagine for me. And nothing that I do now needs any kind of physical reward. Ultimately, he is our reward just to be with him in that day. He's what we're living for, my friends. And he's who we're serving. And as we serve him, you're going to be blessed. But ultimately, you're going to be blessed with just him. He's our reward. He's the gift. He's, he's not just the gift giver. He's the gift, my friends. So be blessed by that. Now, after dealing with giving and charitable deeds, Jesus next touches on another spiritual practice for us. And that's prayer. Looking at verse five, it says, and, and notice when you pray, it's expected. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, the religious leaders established three uh, times of prayer. Uh, it was the, the third hour, the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, which was 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. And the most prestigious place, of course, to go and gather to pray was there in the temple or one of the synagogues. And 
Again, human nature got the better of the situation because what would happen with a lot of these religious leaders is that they would conveniently be late moving towards the temple or the synagogue for one of those specific hours of prayer. And they would kind of be dragging their feet going, oh boy, I'm going to be late. I better just stop right here and begin to pray and pray loud and pray very religiously. And uh, if it's the busiest street corner, well, I couldn't help it. I just couldn't wait to get to the temple. It was time. I need to stop out of just zeal. And they would begin again to make themselves these, these hypocrites by putting on this show when their heart was not to pray Their heart was to be seen by others for their prayer. And again, they have their reward and they have it in full. It's complete there. People might look at them and go, wow, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I was as bold as they were. People might be patting them on the back, but that's their reward in full right there. They're going to miss out on the, the greater reward. So Jesus, again, he calls them hypocrites here. Don't be like these hypocrites who are acting this way. They're putting on an act of spirituality or holiness, but they were far from it. They were just pretenders. Now, again, these are all great things to do. Giving, praying, great things to do, but God isn't interested in it if our hearts aren't sincere and motivated by service to him and operating in a way where he's the one getting all the glory for it. Of course, you know, when Jesus says, go and pray in the secret place, praying publicly is not wrong. All right. When we gather together, we want to, we want to pray. No doubt. We want to pray with other believers and ministering to them. We, we pray over a, a meal together. These things aren't wrong to pray publicly, but we're not trying to put on this show of prayer. If you're like walking to the mall and you see some friends from church, oh, how are you doing? You just stop and you start to pray out loud in the mall before even greeting them. You know, it's going to be a little bit weird. And again, you're doing it. Not, that's not a natural greeting. You're not doing it uh, of any kind of spiritual service. You're doing it just to kind of be seen and put on this show that you're more holy maybe than others. John 14, sorry, John 12, 43 speaks to this and, and Jesus nails the Pharisees on this because he says, they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That is a sad, scary indictment. That they lived their lives in a way where they were more desiring of the praise of men than they were the praise of God. In other words, their hearts were far from God. Let that never be said of us. Let our hearts be in tune to the Lord, to what he has. And let us live these lives in a way where we say, God, it's not about me. It's not for me. This life exists for you and for your praise and glory. So I want to live this life for you. And, and I got to tell you again, I've told you so many times, I'll say it again, because I need the reminders myself. There's no greater way to live life than to say, it's not about me. I'm dying to self and I'm living for Jesus all for his praise and glory. That's the way that you're going to have the most joyous, peaceful, content life. It's not going to happen by living for self. You're going to be greatly disappointed if you're living your life for your own desires. You'll be greatly disappointed in that. But when we say I'm yielding all that and I'm giving it to the Lord, I'm living for him, that's when you're going to be blessed, my friends. So, Jesus says in verse six, but you, when you pray, 
Go into your room and when you shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. See, prayer is a time to connect with God, to get away from distractions. So he says, go into your room and pray. Go into a place where you're not gonna be distracted. It's not gonna be about putting on a show in front of others. It's you and the Lord. And it's a time just to commune within that word room in the ancient Greek means storeroom and more specifically storeroom where treasures are kept. Isn't that awesome? You see, when you get alone with God in your prayer closet to simply commune with him, there are treasures waiting for you there. Take advantage of that. Take advantage of the amazing open door and invitation that Jesus calls us to come and approach that throne room of grace with boldness, where you find help in time of need. Take advantage of that invitation to come and seek the Lord. Not to rattle off a list. Listen, there's nothing wrong with presenting our requests before the Lord. There's a time and place for that. But prayer is not just that. And I think we've oftentimes made prayer, okay, here's my time to come and bring my needs before the Lord. Prayer is about just communing with God, being in his presence, learning of him, hearing from him, sharing with him, just spending time in fellowship with God. That's what the Lord desires. Can you imagine if your relationships with other people were all about just going up to them saying, I need this, I need that, help me with this, help me with that, see you later. And that's it. You wouldn't have much of a friendship. They'd see you coming and they'd be running the opposite direction as quick as they could. Relationships are built upon just getting to know one another, building that, that kind of fellowship, being in, in communion together. That's what God desires in prayer. That's what he's given us prayer for. Notice verse seven. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. That's good. So prayer is that time to connect with God. And, and don't use vain repetitions because that's how the, the heathens operate. You think about Elijah when he's up on Mount Carmel uh, battling the prophets of Baal. And he gives them opportunity for them to see that, um, uh, that altar be, be consumed with, with fire. And they are praying from morning until noon and they're just like slashing themselves and they're praying. They're just going on and on, calling out with their many words, thinking that there's gonna be a response from their God and there's, there's nothing. That's what the heathens do. We don't have to operate that way. Can you imagine if, if, if Peter prayed a prayer like that with, with you know, vain repetition or, or many words when he's sinking in the Sea of Galilee? He would have been a dead duck. What does he pray? Lord, save me. <laughs> Simple. You have to, I beseech thee, Lord Jesus, if thou wilt, you know, cometh to me and rescue thou with me in this dire situation. I mean, it would have been like, Drinking water. We sometimes sing, and I get a kick out of it sometimes when you see people thinking that they've got to change their whole persona when they pray to God. And they start praying in the King James or something like that. It's like, we don't talk like that. Why are you praying like that for? Just be normal. And just commune with God. Now, 
again, the, the issue here is not so much how you pray, but what's your heart behind it? Are you praying to be seen, to act holy? Are you praying just to truly commune with God? I think Solomon summed it up quite well in Ecclesiastes 5.2. He said, God is in heaven, you're on earth. Let your words be few. Doesn't mean we don't talk to God, but we gotta be careful how we talk to God that we don't need vain repetitions. Because notice this, your father knows the very things you have need of before you ask him. He already knows everything about you and what you're going through. Now the question then lies with this. If God knows what we need before we ask, why pray? Some of us can get in that situation where we're like, oh, God already knows. God's sovereign. God's already going to do what he wants. Why does he need me to pray? God's not necessarily waiting for you to pray so that he can act. God is sovereign. He does what he chooses. Prayer is not trying to get God to move in alignment with our will. Prayer brings us in alignment with God's will. And we, we get to know his heart. Prayer is just for us to, again, fellowship with the Lord and, and know him in a, in a greater, more intimate way. It's just building that relationship with him. And you see, when we ask, and again, it's not wrong to present our needs before the Lord. I'm not saying don't do that, but he already knows. So why do we do that? I, I believe we do it because we're revealing, Lord, you're the one and the only one that's going to be my help in this situation. It's going to supply my needs. It's going to provide for me. You're the one that is going to do all that for me. He wants us to develop a heart of dependence upon him. And as we pray and we, we just commune with him, but then we pray for needs or we have requests, we're saying, Lord, this, isn't, this doesn't come about through my ingenuity, through my effort. You're the source of all my help. And I bring it to you and I seek you in that. We just need to have a right motive in our prayers. It's communion and connection with God and seeking his will. Now that Jesus has showed us how not to pray, next week we'll look at how he instructs us to pray. He gives us this great model of prayer. We'll talk about that uh, next week. Pastor Stewart, would you come? And we're gonna uh, just pray right now. And there's a couple of needs actually that I do want to pray for. Uh, many of you know Dennis Young. Dennis Young had a heart attack this past week and uh, he's going to need some surgery. He's doing okay, but we want to pray for him. We want to continue to pray for Tammy Lee, who's been in the hospital and has made it back home. We want to pray for those that are just um, really needing a touch from the Lord. Many people here presently, those that can't be with us because of uh, just their health. We want to just lift up some of these needs. So let's do that here right now. Lord, we thank you for our day together today to come and worship you, to be in fellowship with one another and with you. Thank you for the instruction we see in your word. May we apply it, live it out, and may we truly live these lives all for your glory. And God, we pray for some of the needs around us from our own brothers and sisters in this fellowship. Uh, we pray for Dennis, that you would just heal him, Lord, that you would uh, just strengthen his heart, make him well, comfort him, Lord, as he's in the hospital. And we just pray that you would work through that situation. Thank you for Tammy, Lord, getting uh, better. We just pray you'll continue to restore her.
her to strength as she ret- uh, has returned home and just uh, be with her. For those that are battling through cancer, Lord, we just pray for you to continue to sustain them and, and, and strengthen them, Lord. We pray that you'd ultimately just turn things around and provide such an amazing miracle that would just uh, testify of your greatness and goodness, God. Uh, for those right here in our midst today that are just needing a touch from you, would you do that, Lord? We, we bring these to you, Lord, and we ask for your help as the only one that we know can help in our time of need. So thank you, Lord, for prayer and that we can come to you uh, with these things, Lord. And may we continue to seek you in all that we do and live for your glory, we pray in your name. Amen.